quite unusual. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Quite Unusual podcast. We are your hosts. I am Noelle. And I am Nicole. And it feels like we are doing the last assignment before spring break starts. Oh, God, you're so right. <laughs> Do you feel like you've been living in Jonestown in the compound for like a month? Yeah, you know, it's weird because I've been wearing sunglasses 24-7 and drinking nothing but Flavor-Aid for the past like five weeks. And I suddenly want a spider monkey for a pet. Oh, you can have one of mine. Oh, oh, you have some. I just bought like a bunch for some reason. Oh, yeah, weird. I, I don't know why, why you did that. It just, it felt right, why. you know? Mm. Quick cue for you. Mm-hmm. If the last episode which was Jonestown Drift. Right, right. Well, Tokyo Jones. Like, let's be it's, it's Jonestown yeah. Drift. Then this one. Everyone knows it. Then this one is Jones and Town, right? Oh. Like Fast and Furious style. Right. So the fourth one is Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. But Jones in Town does not have the same ring to it, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. Right. For going along with the Fast and Furious theme, then I guess, yes, we should call it that. So I guess, yes, this episode shall be called Jones and Town. You heard it here. This is the second <laughs> to last episode in our Jones Town series, our longest series ever. It's the most content we have ever recorded yeah. on one topic in our lives. And clearly, as you have witnessed in the past three episodes, this whole story is thick with two C's with info and conspiracies. So, yeah, we were. OK, so um, I'm just going to put this up out front. Yeah. Just so everyone can hear it. So, you know, so you don't get to the end and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Unsubscribe. Um, so we were writing a little scripty for this one, and it was supposed to be our last episode. It was. It will not be. It will not be. It will not be. This is the penultimate, no longer the Mm. ultimate. Yes. So this will be a five-part series. So next one will be Fast Five, Jones Five, Town Five. Jones Town Five. (laughs) Jones Town Five. It'll be Jones Town Five. Um... So yeah, just so just so you all know, I think Jones Five sounds good. Mm -hmm. Just so you know, this will be the fourth installment, Mm -hmm. not the final installment. Yeah, and just it's all for you. It's all for you guys. So there's just so much we do. We couldn't. We couldn't cut it. We couldn't fit all of this into a 30 minute episode. Let's just put it that way. No. What do you think we do? Just read an article and then be done? Some yeah. Some people do, but we want to give you everything. So we will. So we will. So without further ado, let's do a little recap of last week's show before we get started. Let's. Last week was honestly probably one of my favorite episodes of all time. It, I've, when I was editing it, I was peeing in my pants. It is so funny. <laughs> we Also, we were so freaking tired when yeah. we recorded it. We were like slap happy. Yeah, it was terrible. There was one part where I thought we sounded drunk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And I we think, sounded drunk. Right? And I think I texted you and I was like, how much did we have to drink? Yeah. But it wasn't even anything. It was our usual. Well, we had movie club. Oh, yeah, yeah, before. yeah. Before. That's why we were a little drunk. And I when we made the Skyfall joke, I basically just laughed through that entire sentence that I tried to say. We, and I'm laughing yeah. about it now thinking about it. We sounded so drunk. Because, uh, well, you know what? When Adele gets music in her bones, she writes 
about Guyana. You gotta let it out of the bones, Adele. That's what I always in say. In her song, Skyfall. And yep. I'm, I still can't even get through it, and I'm not drunk, so... Uh, well, whatever. this time, we are fully caffeinated and just a little bit drunk. It's like a three sips of champagne in. We had a whole Crocs earlier, so... Um, a full Crocs. Yep, so we're hydrated. And we're ready to go. Last week, we talked about Joyce Shaw, a defector who threatened to take Jonestown down by spreading her insider information. She was such a threat that Jimba puppy killer jones i was not not gonna say it definitely didn't get her husband killed when he was thinking about leaving her husband bob houston just really wanted to take a nap on some train tracks but the problem is Mm. bob woke up from that nap super dead yeah yeah and then jimbo was hanging out with some people that the government was terrified of like the black panthers Mm. the symbonese liberation army and jane fonda terrifying yeah who's who isn't afraid of jane fonda if you're not, you should be. You should be. She's a tour de force. There, I said it. Okay, it needed to be said. He was also getting very, very revolutionary and stirring up tons of trouble, which, I mean, makes sense because this is where Jimba starts to make enemies in the political circle when you get a little too revolutionized. Yeah, too radical. He also started shipping people off to Guyana, if you wanna. The pioneers, as he called them, went to clear almost 3,000 acres of dense jungle in South America with everyone's favorite cult member, Mr. Muggs. Love Mr. Muggs. They were there for about three years, honestly, truly having a really great time. Mm. They built tons of buildings, farmed a lot of fields, raised livestock. They just honestly, truly lived a socialist dream, and they were having tons of fun doing it until Jimba came. At Jonestown, Jimba got fat as hell (laughs) while everyone else basically starved on rice and beans and Flavor-Aid and sadness. Yeah, I mean, Flavor-Aid was the treat to them. That was like their treat was Flavor-Aid. So not even like it's an off-brand of Kool-Aid. Technically, it is a brand. It's just a bad one. It's a bad brand. It's not even the top brand. It's like when your mom gets like the store brand of Cheerios and they're called like happy faces and Happy-os. they just yeah and they're just like terrible and you can taste the difference even yeah. though she poured it in the old cheerios box because yeah, you're poor and she doesn't want to tell you that the generic the, sorry i'm just whoa it sounds like you're speaking from experience reliving something trauma. here no i'm not anyways jimba jones instituted some beatings good old-fashioned beatings in the isolation box mm. he would talk for hours on end about absolute nonsense into the little hours of the night and he seemed to only want to make everyone miserable. So Which he, he did. did. Oh. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit more about how miserable everyone was. The downfall of Sweet Jimba's empire. Maybe he pushes some puppies down some more. Stop. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I haven't nah. read through this. He doesn't. Spoiler to everyone. <laughs> wow. Spoiler alert. Had to throw that out there. And the lead up to the horrible conclusion right here, right now, on Jonestown Parte Quattro. Jones and Town. In August of 1977, Jim officially arrived in Jonestown. And it would take only one year and three months for everything to go to complete shit. So buckle in and get ready for the shitstorm to unravel I will give him exactly two compliments okay. in my life. That's one, generous. One, he is efficient at ruining things. He is. He's so That's good Im- at it. so impressive. He's so good. Honestly, at this point, it's a skill. Yeah. And second, he is so good at remembering people's names. 
I was listening to some of the death tapes, which we'll play a ton oh. of next episode. Part five. It's unreal. He's like standing on a stage being like, Laura, this is your name. Uh, Bill, that's your name? Um, Muggs. Muggs. You know, it's like he's like naming people off. Like he fucking knows all of them. Are those their real names or is he just making shit up though? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I would like to think that he knows their names and I'm very, very impressed by it because I truly think I have face blindness because I can yeah. meet two, like I can meet really? two brunette white men and not be able to tell them apart. Really? Yeah. I if I see someone I'm like I I know you once if I see Dude, I yeah it's so impressive I have a very great memory though yeah you have a really good memory I have a yeah. shit memory <laughs> so that makes sense actually yeah yeah we touched on it a little bit in episode three but everything was going great in Jonestown until Jones got there and then everything just got really shitty yeah. Jim would play himself over the loudspeakers, giving lectures, and for whatever reason, if he couldn't give a lecture, probably because drugs, he'd just play old lectures. All mail that was being sent out was read and censored, and anything that was coming in was opened and read, and also thrown out if it included anything that they didn't want their members to know. You know, like, oh, yeah, no one is being rounded up and put into concentration camps like Jim says they are back in the United States. What? Jim Jones lied? No. Never. A lot of letters they were sending out were also just super fake. They would send letters out on behalf of the people that were staying there. And when the relatives of these people started comparing notes in these letters, they noticed a lot of similarities, like... Every woman was somehow engaged to a doctor there, but there was only one doctor. And I'm not even sure if you could even legally call him that. So, every young eligible female was engaged to Dr. Larry Schacht. Oh, honey, our daughter, Deborah, Mrs. Deborah Schacht. I can't wait for him to come home and meet us. <laughs> this little tidbit of info made relatives back home form a group called the Concerned Relatives. And it was made up of just that. Concerned Relatives. They were so concerned that they didn't have time to come up with a cool name. I think it's a great name. It's direct and to the point. Very to the point. Their mission was to rescue their relatives from Jonestown and to expose Jones for the psycho that he was. The group would get together in San Francisco and have meetings at the home of Jeannie Mills, where they would compare information, interview people's temple defectors, and even listened in on a shortwave radio transmission of communication between Jones and Jonestown, because the people's temple were still headquartered in San Francisco. Right. So they were listening in on these radio transmissions. Jim knew this was all happening, too, and he also knew it could present a threat to his cult, so he had temple members, still in San Francisco, take down license plate numbers of the members who were attending these meetings at Jeannie Mills' home, because he wanted to know who his enemies were. That's just very sad. I'm picturing him, like, sitting in a tent in Jonestown with a monkey, like, snorting cocaine, <laughs> being like, what does his license plate say? Okay. Well, I'm just gonna. Ooh, these numbers mean nothing to me. 
But, like, he has it in his head, like, all these license plates and all these names. And what are you going to fucking do with it, Jimba? What are you going to do? Well, he, I mean, at this point, everything is about Jim. Like, the world revolves around him. We'll get into it a little bit later, but he thinks everything's about him. He's kind of paranoid and obsessed, so. Oh, for sure. It just is so fucking sad to think about. (laughs) Like, how pathetic. (laughs) This group, the Concerned Relatives, was then joined by Grace Stone, who was actually in the middle of a custody battle for her son, John Victor Stone. You know, the child who Jim made his number one buddy, Tim, and his wife, Grace, sign that affidavit that stated that John Victor was actually Jim's son, but then they were also the parents. Super weird. Yeah, the one that was like, I... Tim Stone wanted mm-hmm. Jim Jones to have sex with my wife <laughs> and make a baby because I'm an idiot. Love, Tim. Yes, exactly. I think we, didn't we read it? We last? did read it, and yeah. that's basically verbatim yeah. right there. All that messy shit we talked about earlier, basically. See, Grace had left the People's Temple in 1976, but she left John John there under the care of some temple members. Which, to me, is just insane. Yeah. Her reasoning was that she was scared for her own life, but not for the life of her son. So she was just like, meh, he likes monkeys, we'll let him stay. And then she did. Uh, Well, not great. Not great. Not great. No. At the time, Jim was referring to John Victor, or John John, we'll also call him because that was his nickname. Adorable. But Jim was referring to him as the child god. If you remember in the affidavit, Jim clearly wrote himself, but made Tim Stone sign. It stated, with steadfast hope that said child would become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ and be instrumental in bringing God's kingdom here on earth, as has been his wonderful natural father. Such a weird thing to put in anything. So basically, he's wanting John John to be his successor. Right. Because at the time, Jim is like daddy god right now. Mm-hmm. And he needs someone to take his place. Obviously, he's not going to live forever, despite what he probably tells people. In August of 1977, Grace filed a declaration with the California Superior Court in San Francisco, telling of her time in the People's Temple And basically just stating that Jim was a psycho with the hopes that the courts would give her full custody and return John John to the States because right now he was living in Jonestown. In return, Jim fired back with an affidavit stating that Grace was mentally and emotionally unstable and saying that she was unfit to care for the boy. Um, that's really, did he look in the mirror when he wrote that? (laughs) Right. At this point, Tim Stone, John John's father, maybe? No one actually actually really knows. But, I mean, I've seen pictures of John John, and he really does look like Jim. I think... More than Tim. I think he's definitely Jim Jones' kid. In my opinion, he's he's Jim Jones' son. And everyone else said that, too. Everyone who lived, they said that he looked like uh, Carolyn Layton's son, who she had with Jim, too. Yeah. So I think he was. Well, if you've seen Jim Jones, he is gorgeous. So beautiful. (laughs) 
just like an ugly little Eskimo. And the ugliest. The so ugly. So good thing that his genes are so strong that they supersede everyone else's. Yeah, I mean, he is the god, so. Gross. But anyways, Tim decides that he has just had enough of Jim and all of his crazy antics, especially when Jim accuses Tim of being a CIA double agent. And remember, this is Jim's right-hand man and his lawyer. And he's accusing him of all these wild things for no reason. Because he's so scared of the CIA. And also drugs. He's on a lot of drugs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. (laughs) He's on drugs to make him go to sleep and also wake up Mm -hmm. and also shit. (laughs) Yes. So after this accusation, Tim is just like, F this, F you. I'm Audi 5000, and Tim actually joins forces with the concerned relatives, and he becomes their official legal representation, and he filed four court actions against the Temple and Jim Jones in November of 1977. Yeah, exactly, because Tim Stone is a fucking shark. Yeah. He is a badass lawyer, which is why he was so good to have on your side. And then you went and you fucked his wife, didn't you, Jim? Mm -hmm. Well, this is when Jones starts to get a little scared because Tim also knew things. Mm. I mean, he was Jim's right-hand man. He was privy to all of the shit that was going on behind the scenes, and he could easily bring Jim and Jonestown to the ground. And remember, Stone was assistant DA in San Francisco. He's not just some lawyer or some man with a law degree. He's a fucking bulldog. Like, he knows his shit. Oh, yeah. So what does Jim do? Well, to try, I guess, intimidate him or paint him in a negative light, Jim subscribed to gay porn magazines in Tim's name and had them sent to his house. What? As like a super sick prank, I guess. So the man who has sex with men (laughs) is like, let me prank this guy real hard, really sully his reputation and make people, make the mailman think that he <laughs> likes gay porn because it's yeah. not like your neighbors go through your mail right it goes to your house and you throw it out it was the stupidest thing that he ever could have done and he did it well so. the mailman is like oh my god i thought he looked at me the other day like right in the eye and i <laughs> i thought it lingered for a moment but i thought no no he's too manly to be straight but then but then i saw a guy grind <laughs> guy grind, grind weekly guy grind guy grind weekly <laughs> Yeah, and then the mailman's like, oh, but he's getting guy grind weekly, just like me. <laughs> so, so maybe he is into me. It's fate. And then he buys him an animal arrangement. Mm. But Tim's allergic to pineapple. Oh, no. It can never work out. Jim also started to spread rumors that Tim had made fun of the Guyanese prime minister. And he also made everyone at Jonestown write essays Explaining how much they hated Tim, and if they could, how they would kill him. What up? Is he fucking five years old? Yes! Yes! He literally, all of these things that he's doing, they're insane. Because he's on a lot of drugs. This is something a child would do, yes, though. I exactly. feel like this goes along with being, like, a sociopath. Mm-hmm. That you just, you never fucking grow up. And he yeah. has this very childish view of how to take a person down. 100%. Like, you're gay. I hate you. Remember when you made fun of that guy yeah. one time? Spreading rumors about people. Yeah, was he going to tell the principal? And then getting other people to gang up on him. Yeah, it's all juvenile shit. What a fucking for sure. child. 
Jones also wrote to President Jimmy Carter, and he wrote him a five-page letter titled, Urgent, Urgent, Urgent. (laughs) Oh, no. You know it's urgent if you write that. Three times. And he basically just stated all of the issues with the custody battle and explained his side of things. And Mr. President never responded. What? Jimmy Peanut Farmer Carter never got back to the fucking psychopathic cult leader in Guyana? Because remember, he was buddy-buddy with his wife. Right. But President Carter was like, I don't give a shit about this custody battle that you have. I have, like, other things to do. Um, I'm busy being president right now. (laughs) Exactly. Despite all Jim's valiant efforts, if we'll call them that, On November 18th, 1977, a California Superior Court judge in San Francisco issued an order awarding Grace Stone custody of John Victor Stone, with visitation rights also given to Tim Stone. Hell yeah. It stated that Jones must immediately deliver the minor John Victor Stone to Grace, and since Jones failed to show up for any and all court proceedings, he basically just ignored everything. The San Francisco district attorney was implemented to take all actions necessary to locate Reverend Jim Jones and to secure Reverend Jim Jones's compliance. Wow, he done fucked up, Jimmy. Done fucked up. After Jones failed to appear in two court dates in Georgetown, A Guyanese marshal paid a visit to Jonestown, but he was told Jim was not there at the time. Oh, where was he? Because he's not in America. And he's not in Jonestown. So. (laughs) Exactly. So the marshal nails the order to Jim's door and he leaves because there's not much else he can do. Because of this whole situation, Jim Jones realized he could never leave Jonestown because if he did... He'd have to give up John John, which he was not about to do. He actually wouldn't even travel to Georgetown because he thought they would capture him and then serve him with these papers and force him to give John John up. And he was not going to do that. That's also very wild to think. Mm -hmm. They probably were done. Yeah, I think the Guyanese government gave a shit. No, they (laughs) for sure didn't. They nailed one court order to his door and then left. Like, so they did like one thing one time, right? And he's like, he's, he's paranoid. Yeah. Oh, Just yeah. Another for sure point to his paranoid state. In January of 1978, the Stones and their lawyer Jeffrey Haas went to Guyana to finally retrieve their son, but Tim was told that he needed to leave immediately by the Guyanese officials by Guyanese officials because his visa was about to expire. They also told him that a California state court did not have any jurisdiction in Guyana, and Jones's lawyers told them that they didn't really have to do anything because the papers meant nothing in Guyana. Wow. So they're just basically like, you guys fucking handle this. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, and it's Guyana and what poll does the California judge have in Guyana? Absolutely nothing. Right. So the Stones had no choice but to leave. And when they are leaving, they are met at the airport by three People's Temple members. They surround them and they threaten them. And they tell them to drop the legal action or they will kill them. The Stones heed their warning and leave. 
they wanted to go to Jonestown to retrieve their son, but they knew that if they went, they would most likely be murdered. Yeah, and these guys were real scary. They had white t-shirts on with, like, cigarette packs rolled up in the sleeve, <laughs> and they had real, like, grease-backed hair. They were all wearing sunglasses, too. Oh, yeah, and one of them just kept combing his hair, and he was, like, had a toothpick in his mouth. It was yeah. real scary. Chewing some gum, maybe. Uh, oh. <gasps> popping bubbles. Popping bubbles. Uh-oh. Nothing says intimidation like popping some bubbles. <laughs> so Tim returned to the U.S., and... He visited with a couple of congressmen for help in getting his son back. One of those congressmen being Leo Ryan, who I will talk a little bit about later on. But for now, Noelle is going to get into some super fun stuff. So Noelle, tell us all about Jonestown during this time and how so much fun it was to live there. Oh my god, it was so much fun. Like, so so much fun. <laughs> At this point, Jim Jones, oh, just he was so much fun. He completely lost his fucking shit and had no brain left. <laughs> As an example of how fucking nuts Jim Jones was at this time and how super fun it was, I read a story about how things were getting like really locked down hard mm-hmm. and all the defectors were to be made an example of. Two teenagers had tried to skip town and they were going to like jump on a train and just get out of Jonestown forever. Right. But they were picked up by a Jonestown search party. And then they were made to wear leg irons for weeks and weeks and embarrassed publicly. I'd like to point out that they can't afford to feed people. No. Because they, they're poor and they can only feed them rice and beans, but they can afford leg irons. Uh-huh. Okay. Just put in per- into perspective priorities here it's called prioritizing nicole okay Okay. sometimes you need leg irons but you don't need protein right no one does no one needs protein (laughs) jim jones went as far as stating just totally casually mentioning during his four hour long overnight speeches that he would kill anyone (laughs) who dared leave jonestown all while waving a gun around in the air which is a bit of foreshadowing there, but again, super casual. Yeah. People are just hanging out, so having casual. a good time. It's three in the morning. Jim's been talking for 18 hours. He's waving a gun in your face. Yes. I mean, that's a normal Tuesday in Jonestown. Oh, honestly, though, it was, <laughs> which is what's so fucked up. Yeah. In 1978, Jim Jones is diagnosed with a lung infection. Something super minor, you can just get over it with, like, a Z-pack, right? (laughs) But he chose to tell the People's Temple members that he had lung cancer. Okay, drama queen. He wanted tons of sympathy and attention from his followers. But I just want to point one thing out here. Mm -hmm. I thought Jim Jones could heal cancer. Hmm, that's strange. Now he has it. Mm, What? Yeah, right? Like, why doesn't he just spit out some chicken livers and then force one of his temple members to eat it in front of everyone. I mean, I thought that was the secret to curing cancer. Yeah. Oh, wait. Why doesn't he just lay a picture of himself on himself? Yeah. I mean, it brought a bird to life once. Yeah, so why wouldn't it cure? Why doesn't he inhale a picture of himself into his lungs? of himself. And then he's cured. Yeah. I think that's how that works. That's definitely how that works. He doesn't even have to pay the $5. Not this time. (laughs) He'll just look at a mirror and be healed. Why didn't he just look at a mirror? Take the glasses off. That's why. He mm-hmm. had to take them off. That's where the power source Wasn't going to do it. Yeah. On tapes found in the investigation after the whole 
flavor aid misfortune is what we're gonna that's what we're calling it no it's definitely downgrading <laughs> the mass murder right that jim jones yeah well jimma can be heard complaining about how high his blood pressure is that he's having small strokes just over and over <laughs> while he's suffering from temporary blindness that comes and goes he's having mini seizures and he even complained about get this losing 40 pounds in two weeks from illness even though he is very obviously super fucking overweight that sounds like a brag to me jim like i lost 40 pounds in two weeks did you know that i lost 40 pounds in two weeks i just hold on i'm having a seizure i'm having a seizure i'm having a seizure it's gone I love your Jim Jones voice. Why? It doesn't even sound I, like him. Sometimes I think of it and I just laugh during oh my the day. God, thank you. But also remember, he was afraid to go to Georgetown to seek actual medical attention. I mean, like, not just the medical advice of the doctor at Jonestown. That doctor's busy. He has a lot of weddings to plan. Right. <laughs> He's got a lot of weddings. He thought that if he went to Georgetown, he would be served with the court documents. So... He was not about to do that. Oh, right. Like, to see actual medical professionals right. wasn't going to happen. Even though he's having seizures every day? Like, that's not supposed to happen. They're just little happen. ones. It's fine. <laughs> it's like teeny tiny ones. When he has a big one, then he'll go. <laughs> it's fine. Do you remember Tim Reederman of The Examiner that we talked about last episode? Yes, I do. Okay. He went to Jonestown. He is quoted as saying he thought it was, quote, Shocking to see his glazed eyes and festering paranoia face to face. To realize that nearly a thousand lives, ours included, were in his hands. In regards to Jim Jones's physical and mental condition when he saw Jim in Jonestown. So that would make you feel safe, right? Nope. Yeah. It wasn't just his Mr. Potato Head-shaped body that was deteriorating. <laughs> it was becoming obvious to everyone around him that Jimba Jones's mental health was absolutely declining. Not to mention that Jimba was stoned off his fucking ass 24-7. Yeah. A lot of drugs. Just a couple. Just but a lot. lot of those couple. A lot. He would barely sleep and he never, ever let anyone else sleep. During one of his infamous overnight speeches, people were falling asleep and Jimba shot his handgun, which, again, was always literally in his hand. Wagging it around people. Yeah, just waggling it in people's faces. He shot his handgun into the air while shouting, Are you awake now? <laughs> he was slurring his words and he kind of just stopped finishing sentences altogether. He'd be like, Nicole, I just, when you get the feel, when you go... He would just, like, forget what he was saying. He would just stop in the middle of sentences and then pick up and do, like, another sentence. Mm, okay. Yeah. He was a fucking mess, dude. He was so fucked up sometimes that other cult members would just unplug his microphone so that no one had to hear him talk over the loudspeaker for hours and hours. And he wouldn't even fucking notice. Okay, that is hilarious though yeah it's like when you're playing video games and your little cousin's like i won't play too and you give them a controller but they're not plugged in yeah and they think they're doing it you're just like oh yeah great speech jim that yeah. was a good one last night he's like oh look yep. you're winning you're winning uh-huh and that's what they did to jimba jones oh my god i'm winning guys as you guys i'm winning 
He was also falling deep, deep into conspiracy theories, saying that the U.S. government was colluding with Guyana to take down him, Jim Jones. Mm. He claimed that the United States government was trying to do research on Jonestown and that Deputy Prime Minister Ptolemy Reed, which is a very cool name, it's very cool. Had traveled to America to give the CIA all the information that they wanted on Jim Jones. So Jim called Reed, but Reed was in the United States, which totally set Jim Jones off the deep end. Like all of his suspicions were confirmed in that phone call. Jim was positive that he was either colluding with or he was taken prisoner by the U.S. government because he just knew too much about Jonestown, Mm. which you said earlier, everything is about Jim. Yeah, he's super paranoid. He's obsessed with himself and everything in the world is revolving around Mm -hmm. him. Jim called up his private army, told them to grab all of the Bibles that they could find. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Bibles are code for guns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's true about the Catholic Church, too. Yeah. Uh It's like, grab your Bible. Really, it means... Exactly. So everyone grabbed up all their Bibles and instantly went into panic mode. Jim had his son, Stephen, go into the jungle and shoot at Jim. (laughs) Another one of these? We're doing this again? Yeah. He's like, we're going to prank these guys so hard right now. He loved pranks, you know? Jim told absolutely no one about this. It was just him and his son that were in. And Stephen was meant to shoot at him and then run back and be like, what? Oh, my God, someone's shooting at my daddy. <laughs> With this action, Jim Jones set into motion what would what would come to be called the six-day siege, which is very hard for me to say because I have a speech impediment. Six-day siege, six-day siege. You do not have a speech impediment. Your tongue's just way too big for your mouth. Okay, I have a face impediment. <laughs> Jones said that the Guyanese troops, along with a group of mercenaries, were on their way to take out Jim and steal the godchild, baby John John Victor. He kept everyone up for two entire days, not letting anyone go to sleep. And everyone was absolutely ready to fight hand-to-hand combat with an actual army and mercenaries in the name of Jim Jones. Even the old women? They were especially ready. the old women. <laughs> That's true. They they loved him. They loved him so much. They were like knitting needles out for Jim, dude. <laughs> but nothing else happened. So then Jim Jones was like, uh, we're going to go to Cuba to be safe just in case because things are a little too quiet in the jungle. Mm. Cuba was a socialist paradise and they would be free to live their lives there just as they wanted to. Right, but I think Jim was also, he was kind of just thinking on his toes. Oh, yeah. He didn't have this planned. He was just sort of talking out of his ass and saying shit to go along with the lies he had started, that they were under attack and these people were coming for them. He was, like, spiraling. Like, you know the thing when you lie and then you just lie more Uh and more and more. That was what this whole Cuba situation was. Yeah, absolutely. He's literally sitting in the fucking jungle being like, Stephen, go shoot at me right now. And then Stephen <laughs> shot at him. And then he's like, good. Now what? And that's where the plan ended. And then it <laughs> took him two days to be like, we're going to go to Cuba. It took him two fucking days to come up with, we're going to Cuba. Well, at that point, everyone was like super tired and probably hallucinating because they hadn't slept. So they just went along with it. Yeah, dude, they were going to Cuba. Yeah. 
So that night, he moved hundreds of people, including the elderly old ladies, miles on foot through the jungle to a boat at Port Kaituma in just the middle of the night. Like, everyone's going. No one slept for at least 48 hours. And they are going to Cuba. (laughs) When they got there, Jim called it all off. I heard, which I, I can't. I can't confirm this, but I heard that it was because an old woman fell and it was just like a fucking hassle. She broke her hip or something. Yeah, Yeah, and it was just a hassle. And Jim was like, fuck it, we're done. He was probably like, well, I don't, what happens when we get to Cuba? Like, if we all get in these boats, I don't have a plan for that. So, you know what? Screw it. Let's just go back. Yeah. He, he, oh, for sure. He's looking around for a scapegoat. He like shoves an old lady on accident, (laughs) right? She falls. He hip checks her. Yeah. He's like, oh, Barbara. You know what? It's your fault. Everyone back to Jonestown. And then Barb was like, I can't walk. Please help me. But that was the scapegoat, right? Yeah, for sure. So everyone is super confused, but they believe in Jim. Well, right. Because first he tells them there are people in the jungle shooting at us. And then he's like, but wait, wait. We need to go into the jungle to escape. And everyone's like, what the fuck? But they go, and then they're all, like, looking around over their shoulders and shit, thinking a mercenary is going to come uh-huh. flying through the jungle at them with, like, a machete or something, and it doesn't happen. And then Jim's like, we got to go back. So what? Yeah. what is that? He has no fucking plan. He doesn't. No. There was exactly one bullet. Yeah. One bullet. And then... <laughs> Shot by his own son. And that's, that's what kicked this <laughs> off. Six days of this shit. So when Jim, when they all get back to Jonestown, Jim calls Marceline, who is still in America. Um, Like Nicole said, it was very segmented here. People's Temple is in Jonestown, and they're also back in San Fran. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of running things stateside and just trying to fucking hold shit together. Yeah, she does a lot of that when in this period of the People's Temple and Jim Jones being Jim Jones. It's like really her who holds shit together. Yeah. So he calls her up and he's like, Marceline, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> he told her what was happening there and she was like, okay, um, kind of rash, but keep going. <laughs> and then he was like, and also, Marceline, everyone is prepared to die today for me. And she's like, okay, fuck. Um, maybe pump the brakes on that one a little bit, Jimba. Sit down, take a quaalude, call you in an hour, okay? <laughs> so he sits down, takes a quaalude. I don't know what the fuck he does. Who cares? And she's just, like, on the fucking phone trying to sort this shit out because there's so many people at Jonestown right now. And she feels responsible because she kind of started this shit, too. So she's trying to talk Jim off the murder ledge again. Yeah. So she starts making phone calls, like I said. She locates Ptolemy Reed, and she has him call Jim Jones. He's in America on a tour. Do you know where he is? Do you know where they found him? I do. Unveil it. (laughs) He was in fucking Indiana, of all places. The heartland. deputy prime minister is visiting, of Guyana, is visiting Indiana. Yeah. It's kind of ironic in a weird way. Yeah. Very ironic. Yeah. Extremely ironic. Yeah. So he's... Synchronicities. Oh, what? So he's in Indiana eating corn? Whatever you do there. Looking at the world's biggest ball of yarn. And he talks to Jim Jones on the phone, and he's like, hey, dude, everything's cool. Um, Let's just jump off this mass murder cliff, but not in the murder direction, right? (laughs) In, like, the nicer, alive direction. Yeah. 
So he says this by telling him that no one was coming to hurt them. No one was going to, you know, collude with America because fuck America, right? I'm in Indiana, but fuck these guys. Mm. What do they eat in Indiana? All, all I can think of is corn. It's going to make a joke uh, about eating a hush just, puppy. That yeah. doesn't sound right. No, that's like a Southern thing. I was just going to say there's a lot of Amish people. He was just hanging out with a bunch of Amish people. He's just in Indiana eating Amish people. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on. Jim Jones calls him. He's flipping out. And he's like, dude, chill the fuck out. I'm just in Indiana eating Amish people like a regular person would do. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> naturally you're cool. And Jim Jones sighs relief and he calls an emergency meeting at his beautiful pavilion and he stands up and he says we won what are you what did you win he won we won we won we did it we won we won every time someone questioned it he just yelled it louder and louder he said we won we won and everyone's like you know what yeah we did fucking win exhausted they just hiked 20 fucking miles in the jungle when they thought mercenaries were out there trying to kill them with machetes Old ladies are broken everywhere. Yeah. But they won. They won. They won. And everyone is like, we'll fucking take this win. Okay. (laughs) So the people were relieved that the six day siege is over and they can just all go back to being miserable in the jungle instead of being terrified and miserable in the jungle. It's exhausting. It's a step up though. (laughs) Technically, (laughs) yes. But this joyous mood would not last long. Jim Jones began to institute the White Knights regularly. This was the first of the White Knights that happened to be six days long. Mm, okay. But no one really knew that at the time. So what is a White Knight? I'm saying that a lot, but let me explain to you. The White Knights were emergency meetings that Jim Jones would call when he felt like the world was just collapsing in on him and Jonestown was in danger. Or he was just on a lot of drugs and paranoid. Definitely that one. Mm -hmm. He would keep those in attendance of these meetings up all night long, not letting them leave the room that they were in at all. Like, they had to piss in corners and shit. Yeah. Well, we know he did that before, too. That's kind of his thing. Yeah. And he called them White Knights, but they were originally called Omegas, which alluded to the finality of the events. But then Jim Jones decided that the events actually marked a beginning and not an ending, so he started calling them alphas. Ah, a little switcheroo there. But that sounded really lame. <laughs> so he started calling them black knights because, ooh, that's so scary. scary. Black knights, ominous. But then Jimbo was like, wait, most of the people that live here are black. And I tell them all the time that it's the whites that we need to fear, not the mm. blacks. Yeah. So being afraid that the black knights sounded too racially charged, he switched it up to the white knights, which... Still sounds super scary and very mysterious. But if anything, now it alludes to the white people taking over the people's temple and Jim's rainbow congregation. During these white nights, Jimba would give Jonestown members four choices of which they were able to vote on. They could, one, attempt to flee to the Soviet Union. Maybe. Duh. Commit revolutionary suicide. Nope, not, not choosing that one. Stay in Jonestown and fight their attackers. Yeah, yeah. Or flee into the jungle. Mm. Which one would you pick, Nicole? I'd stay in Jonestown and fight my attackers. <sighs> I am so all about going to the Soviet Union. Take me to oh, yeah. it, Mother Russia. It's just too cold for me, though. Yeah, no, I don't want to go there. I'm just joking. So when he made them vote on this, uh-huh. what, what was the point? Just to see, like, where 
where everyone else was leading, like which Yeah, I'm pretty sure he just, he just had no game plan. Okay. And he's like, what do you think we should do? And then he ultimately chose every time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wonder how many people actually voted for revolutionary suicide, though. I think a lot. Multiple times. And then as we'll mm. see, the numbers kind of start going up and people are just willing for it. Mm. Like, they're ready. They're doing it. Brainwashed. Supposedly, well, they were in a cult, so yeah. Yes. Supposedly, there were 84 white knights in this last year at Jonestown. Holy but shit. I saw upwards of 100. 84 is the number I saw most, so we're going to go with that one. But he didn't, it wasn't always, we're being attacked. It was just like, let's get into a meeting and just stay up all night while I rant in your face, right? Or was he always claiming they were being attacked? No, it wasn't always attack. It was okay. whenever Jim Jones was just freaking the fuck out about oh, something. Okay. So it could be anything at all. But it always ended with, what should we do, you guys? Go oh. to the Soviet Union? Should we eh, commit revolutionary suicide? Hear me out. Stay in Jonestown and fight? I don't know what. Oppressors? Maybe, like, fight, like, my feelings or something? Mercenaries. Fight the mercenaries. Or flee into the jungle and live like jungle people. Interesting. Yeah. So he's always, I think he probably was like, we should kill ourselves, right? Yeah. Almost every time. Probably. Yeah. On one white night remembered by a Jones sound effector named Deborah Layton, everyone was told to line up and they were given small cups of red liquid. They were all told that they had to drink the liquid, even the children. If a person refused, they were called traitors and they were forced to drink the liquid. Once everyone had drank it, they were all told that they would die in 45 minutes. But at this point, everyone was like, yeah, we know how cyanide works, Jim. We do this all the fucking time. Right. They're like, you've done this like 17 other times. But I think what's really sick about it is that it's almost like he was prepping them for what, I mean, we obviously know what happens, but it's almost kind of like he's testing them, but he's also preparing them like, this is what you do in this situation. If you don't listen, we'll screw you. You're going to do it anyways. Yeah, he's he's removing the choice. Yeah, from and he's, he's prepping these people to just be okay with it. Yeah, and at the same time, he's making them all prove their loyalty mm -hmm. to him. The less people you have to force, the more people are also willing to do it. Exactly. Just kind of, like, by example. Yeah. And see, it was no secret that Jonestown was stocking cyanide like Pandemic shoppers were stocking up on toilet paper last March. Remember that? Everyone yeah. was hoarding it. There was no toilet paper to buy anywhere. That's what they were doing with the cyanide. Well, that, actually, a good thing came out of that because I bought a bidet. And Me it's too. And the best purchase I've ever made in my life. Bidet. Remember I told you? I was like, you need to buy yourself a bidet. And then I did. And is it the best purchase of your life? Here we are talking about our clean buttholes <laughs> on the internet radio. If you don't have a bidet... Get a fucking bidet. We're not sponsored by clean buttholes. We just like them. We just like them. They're like 35 bucks on Amazon. And oh they're so easy to install. And there's left-handed ones. Yeah. So lefties out there, go get it, girl. Get it. So they're not buying bidets in Jonestown. They're using like <laughs> shitty ass toilet paper, like the stuff that really rips your asshole They're up. shitting into like holes they dug into the fort, in the jungle. So actually, yeah. 
Yes. They dug holes and then they put they like a bunch of holes next to each other. I read all about, I read the story. Did they? <laughs> I read a story about the toilets there. Ew. Yeah. Do you want to do this really quick? Yeah, we'll talk about, Fucking... just sidetrack it. Yeah, do it. Okay. So let me sit up straight for this one because I'm going to need to. So they dug like a bunch of holes in a line. Yeah. And then they would build like a bench out of a log. Uh-huh. And you would dangle your ass off over. the log over the <gasps> hole. And then just do your business? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No bidet situation. No. Probably a lot of smelly people in Jonestown. I'm going to guess everyone smelled like actual shit. Probably. You live in the jungle. No running water. And you're shitting in a hole probably pretty close to where you live. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, dude. I read yeah, I read this story. I know about the toilets because I read this story about this little girl who had fake teeth. Did you read this one? And I didn't. I didn't know it was a little girl. I thought it was an older woman because of the fake teeth. No, it was a little girl. <laughs> yeah, she had, like, fake teeth. And they got, like, knocked out of her face for some reason or another. Yeah. And they fell into this toilet septic situation. Why are you playing by the toilets, number one, little girl? Um, That's where you play... <laughs> sanitation worker Why do you have fake teeth also i have so many questions i have no answers for any of these questions yeah. and her teeth fell in and then they had to like go down and get it it was like a 50 foot drop who went down and got that uh steven did i think was it steven it was definitely one of jim jones's kids did, did it they just like draw the short straw or how no, did he's they like i'll help that? you little girl here are your shit covered teeth and he returned them to her and she was like Thanks, Mr. Jones. And she put them back into her mouth. Well, first she washed them off. It's forever with unclean. Dirty jungle at that point. water. Forever unclean. Um, sidetrack to the sidetrack. <laughs> I one time dropped a Fitbit in a porter potty. <gasps> at, That's my worst fear. At, but with my phone. Um, where was I? Daytona? No. I was in some fucking NASCAR thing. Oh shit! That I didn't even want to be at. Oh, God. That's not my style at all, man. And I went to the bathroom, and it was the only option, and I dropped my Fitbit, and I looked at it, and I was like, I'm good. Bye. <laughs> you left it? I left it, and then I left, and I didn't give a fucking shit at oh all. Oh, my God. What? Oh, my God, dude. Would you get it? Uh, My current Fitbit? No, because I fucking hate it. But if it were my... I have a fear that I'm going to forget my phones in my back pocket, and <gasps> go like if I'm at a concert or something, well when concerts become a thing again but take my pants off and then it's gonna fall in that's like my one of my biggest fears at like concerts with porta potties yeah that's a pretty pretty real fear rational yeah mm -hmm. i support that just fuck <laughs> i don't even know what to do if it were my phone i'd definitely reach in you have to <sighs> fitbit nah you're you belong to the porta potty now you belong to the septic system like a little girl's <laughs> teeth all right, back to the story at hand. So it's, like I said, it was no secret that they were stockpiling cyanide. The People's Temple had received monthly half-pound shipments of cyanide wow. since 1976. Every fucking month. Wow. This was legal because Jim Jones had obtained a jeweler's license to buy cyanide. What? Yeah, cyanide is used to clean gold and makes it like super pure so that you can make really nice jewelry. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's also um good to mix with grape flavored Kool-Aid like products and not Kool-Aid, but people. like Kool -Aid. Yeah, Kool-Aid like. Jim Jones warned everyone that quote, the time was not far off when it would become necessary for us to die by our own hands. 
So he's just saying this shit all the time. Yeah. And in May of 1978, a temple doctor wrote a memo to Jim Jones asking permission to test cyanide on the pigs at Jonestown because their metabolism was close to that of human beings. Mm -hmm. But of course, we all know the date of the final white night. That we do. Which we will get to. But first, more from Leo Ryan with Nicole. Oh, yes. So when I left off, Tim Stone had been shooed away from Guyana in his first attempt to get his son. But Tim did not give up so easily. So Tim decided to get some big guns involved, if you know what I mean. Did you know that the only natural enemy of a Tim is a Jim? No. But it makes a lot of sense. It's true. Wow. It's true. The world makes sense again. In January of 1978, Tim met with nine congressmen, one of those being Leo Ryan. Leo Ryan was a member of the Democratic Party, and he served as a United States representative from the 11th Congressional District in California. Leo Ryan was a submariner in the U.S. Navy during World War II, and he then went on to become a high school English teacher before he would make the transition into politics. Wow. In 1962, Leo Ryan was elected mayor of South San Francisco and then went on to be elected to the California State Assembly. Ryan was known to immerse himself into the issues of the people he served for, quite literally, actually. In 1970, Leo Ryan was the chairman of the assembly committee that was in charge of prison reform. Ryan thought that the best way to understand the issues was to experience prison for himself. So, under a false name, Ryan was admitted to Folsom Prison. Number one, great Johnny Cash song. Oh, totally. Number two, I have the fake name. Did you know it? No, please tell me. Mio Brian. What is it? Me? Mio Brian. Mio? Me O'Brien. You're lying. I'm not lying. <laughs> That's his name. He would go into rooms and be like, it's a me O'Brien. Brian. That's not true. That's 100% I'm factual. I'm looking at your face right now and it's not true. It's 100% She's factual. She's lying. Everyone. Am I laughing? No, I'm not. Why? Because t- I can't look at you right now. Because <laughs> I'm telling the truth. That is a straight up lie. <laughs> so we don't know. Is I mean, I guess. It's a me O'Brien. <laughs> So that's what he went under, Um, maybe. (laughs) While Ryan was in Folsom Prison, he obviously found conditions to be extremely upsetting, stating that while in prison, he feared for his life. Well, he was, yeah, it was like an Italian stereotype, okay? It's not cool, Leo. I don't know why you thought you could get away with that. He thought it would be protected by the mob. He was wearing all black and carrying a guitar around and yelling, it's a me, yo, Brian, every time he walked into a room. Okay, I would beat him up too. While some people praised Leo Ryan for his great investigative work, many people criticized his extreme methods. A lot of people did not agree with his methods because they feared he might create bigger problems like getting others inadvertently injured or potentially himself. Spoiler alert. Oh. In an investigation of the clubbing of baby seals for their fur, Ryan traveled to Newfoundland, Canada, where he laid on ice in front of hunters to protect the babies. Oh, that really it, has nothing to do with the story. I just really liked that little tidbit about him. Yeah, it's really nice. And yeah. also, he was dressed like a baby seal. 
Leo Ryan was not afraid to take risks if it meant he could change the world for the better. He was never one to sit back and do nothing. When Leo Ryan was informed by the concerned relatives and Tim Stone of Reverend Jim Jones and Jonestown and the alleged abuse that was transpiring there, he started to grow an interest in the matter. When the San Francisco Examiner wrote a story about a former People's Temple member named Bob Houston, who we actually spoke about in the last episode, you know, the guy who took the catnap on the train tracks was cut in half. Oh, yeah, he was super sleepy, and he was like, I'm just going to lay here really quick, because right. my wife just definitely um, called me, and it was recorded, and now Jim Jones knows I want to leave the People's Temple. Right. And I'm so tired, so I'm just going to lay here for, like, one moment. <laughs> just a second. And then a train came by, and he died. Yeah. Well, after that happened, Leo Ryan just knew he had to step in, because... Sammy Houston, Bob's father, was a college roommate of Leo Ryan, and he wanted Jim Jones and his shit shut down because two of his grandchildren were currently living in Jonestown. Along with this issue, a defector named Debbie Layton Blakey, who was also the sister to Jim's right-hand woman, Carolyn Layton, she had escaped from Jonestown, and she was telling everyone about Jim's poison tests that he would do. And this concerned Leo Ryan a lot. On May 12th, 1978, Debbie escaped Jonestown and walked into the American embassy in Guyana, begging them to help her return to the U.S. and save her from the abuse she faced at Jonestown. She stated she didn't have her passport because Jim took everyone's passports to prevent them from leaving. And she detailed the abuse and the terrible conditions that everyone was living in in Jonestown. Her biggest claim was that she believed, and quote, the loss of John Victor Stone by Jim Jones would push Jones to force all of Jonestown to commit suicide. Debbie's escape scared Jim to no end, and he seriously considered poisoning or shooting all of the members of Jonestown in that moment when he found out she was gone because he was afraid that her testimony would just ruin him. Wow, really? Jim was talked down by his oldest and only biological son, Stephen. Well, yeah, Stephen's like, Dad, hear me out. Remember that one time you had me shoot at you in the jungle and then <laughs> run away and be like, oh my God, someone just shot at you? You yes. can trust me. It's me, Stephen. And Jim was like, you know, Stephen, <laughs> you're right. You just shoot at me one time. And then he was going to fight him, but he was just so tired. Mm. He's always tired. I mean, he lost 40 pounds that week. How could he not be exhausted? <laughs> Jones thought that Debbie would bring an end to Jonestown and that he would just lose everything. So he was sort of freaking out. The statement made by Debbie was kept by American counsel Richard McCoy, who locked the document in an embassy safe and did not make these allegations public for six Months. So this guy could have literally yes. saved everyone. Yes. I don't, I couldn't find anywhere why he did this or why her statement basically stating all of the shit that was happening was never turned over to authorities. Yeah. I couldn't find why. Well, good job, Dick McCoy. Exactly. Nailed it. Basically, I think it, he just didn't, didn't do his job. Yeah, sounds like it. Leo Ryan then met with the concerned relatives, led by Stephen Katsaris, who was Maria Katsaris' father, the other 
Mm-hmm. The left and the right, you know, Carolyn Maria. Yeah. And he just wanted to hear their side of the story and understand what was going on. Leo Ryan learned that many of the relatives were concerned for their family members' well-being. He learned more about John Victor. You mean the godchild? The godchild in that situation. And listened to defector stories about all of the crazy shit Jim was doing and did to them. Leo Ryan also had some personal reasons for getting involved. He knew all about religious cults because Leo Ryan had a nephew who had cut off all communication with the family after joining the Church of Scientology. <gasps> and that nephew was Tom Cruise. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if it was? That would be pretty crazy <laughs> if it was. On top of all of this, there were several requests for whereabouts and welfare checks that the concerned relatives were sending to the State Department. From January to November in 1978, 27 whereabouts and welfare checks were submitted by relatives, basically just asking the American embassy in Georgetown, Guyana, to go to Georgetown and make sure that their relatives were alive and well. And they took all of those little notes, put them in a safety deposit (laughs) box, and were like, check back in six months. Well... I mean, you're actually not too far off. Oh, good. I mean, they did check on the relatives, Uh but they didn't do it in a timely manner Mm. because it was extremely hard to travel to Jonestown from the embassy. Oh, right. If you remember, they were in the middle of the fucking jungle, and it required an entire day to make the trek if everything went as planned, if the weather was good and all that. Right. Like, if there weren't mercenaries out there. With machetes waiting to kill them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that type of thing. It's machete season. <laughs> Sorry. I pictured a mercenary, like, it's machete That's season. That's what I pictured, too. He's, like, <laughs> waving it around and shit. There was a lot of preparation involved in making the journey as well. They needed to charter a plane. They needed to request access to Jonestown. And they needed to be sure that the once they got there, the specific person that was in question would actually be there to check. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So instead, what they would do is they would wait until they had a bunch of requests, and then they would make the journey, which they usually only did this every three months. So they'd get all these requests, wait till they had a bunch, and then go and be like, okay, let's see, we have Jack... Samantha, you guys good? Caroline. Oh, we're, we're, we're not okay. All right, you guys sound good. We're going to leave. Wait, mister. Bye. Wait. See you in 30 months. <laughs> On January 18th, 1978, the council stated that they had spoken with numerous people who resided in Jonestown and had found that everyone was there on their own free will and that conditions were up to par they got a log for shitting they got a septic (laughs) tank to keep your teeth in they are good yeah i mean and for this reason they started to make their visits less frequent so good not every three months anymore after gathering all this information leo ryan promised the concerned relatives that he would plan a trip down to guyana himself 
Leo wrote to Jim Jones on November 1st, 1978, telling him that he received many requests from relatives concerning the well-being of their loved ones living in Jonestown, and that he wanted to pay him a visit. He also asked that Jones send him information about his agricultural project. Scare quotes. In response, Jones's lawyer, Mark Lane, you know, his new lawyer since Tim Stone is out of there. We don't talk about Tim Stone, okay? <laughs> so Mark Lane sent a letter back claiming that these complaints were only coming from people hostile to the People's Temple. He stated Jonestown was a private community and that they didn't need to tell him shit about what they were doing there. You don't gotta tell me shit about fuck, okay? <laughs> I'm Mark Lane. He also told Ryan that he could come if he wanted to, but he needed to make arrangements in advance. Well, on November 14th of 1978, Leo Ryan went to Guyana, and he went with a pretty large group of people to try to get Jimba and shut down Jonestown. He landed in Guyana with his legal advisor. I'm going to list a bunch of people right now, so if you're not driving, take notes because there's going to be a lot of names thrown around here. <laughs> Okay, he landed in Guyana with his legal advisor, Jackie Spire, Neville Annaborn, who is who was representing Guyana's Ministry of Information, Richard Dyer, remember that name, Deputy Chief of Mission of the U.S. Embassy to Guyana, the San Francisco Examiner reporter, Tim Reederman, Examiner photographer, Greg Robinson, NBC reporter, Don Harris, NBC camera operator Bob Brown, and audio technician Steve Sung, NBC producer Bob Flick, Washington Post reporter Charles Krauss, and San Francisco Chronicle reporter Ron Javers. And then the concerned relatives' representatives came as well. There were 17 of them, many of which were former members, including Tim and Grace Stone, mm -hmm. Steve and Anthony Katsaris. Mm -hmm. Beverly Oliver, Jim Cobb, Sherwin Harris, and Caroline Houston Boyd. Before his visit, Jim Jones had been using Leo Ryan as sort of a boogeyman. He was using him as a threat to the people of Jonestown, and everyone in Jonestown was terrified of what was going to happen when he did visit. But Leo Ryan thought the exact opposite. He assumed that Jim Jones would never let him in the gates and just never, ever bring him up. And he would have to just go back to America and be like, well, I tried exactly like I dressed like the baby seal. And that other time that I went to prison and my name was, I don't remember, Mio Brian. Mio Brian. <laughs> in that time I went to prison, I mean, Mio Brian went to prison it's going to be exactly like that. And then he just thought that he'd go back to like being a politician that like put in effort to kind of help people out in Jonestown. Right. But it was very performative, but I'm not going to talk shit about him because he did get shit done. I was going to say out of all of probably the congressmen in oh, politics, yeah. he's probably done the most. Well, he's not a regular he's, he's congressman. He's definitely up there. He's not a regular congressman. He actually does shit. He's a cool so. <laughs> congressman. So we'll give him that, though. He does do things, but he definitely thought he was not going to be able to get into Jonestown. Mm -hmm. When they arrived in Guyana, they were refused access to the compound by the Jonestown lawyers, Mark Lane, who 
it sounds terrible. Yeah, we've heard from him. Yeah, once or twice. And then Charles Gary. But Ryan wasn't taking no for an answer. Gary Lane sent word back to Jonestown to warn Jim that Leo Ryan and his party were going to leave for Jonestown the afternoon of November 17th, and they were planning to get in one way or another. Actually, it was Marceline that convinced Jim Jones to let Leo Ryan in. Right. She's kind of like the brains behind, I mean, everything. Because you have a U.S. congressman coming uh-huh. to knocking on your door. Mm-hmm. What's going to be worse? You refusing to let him in, starting a fight, probably even more of a situation between you two. Or oh, yeah. just let him in and pretend everything's fine. You right. know? Right. You yeah. got to play it right. It's weird because Marceline, to me, though, doesn't seem like... Like, she's definitely the brains yeah. here. And then Jim is obviously the looks. Um, <laughs> but she's not doing it in, like, a malicious way. Like, no. she's doing what she thinks is best she's for like the, the pe- people yeah, that live there. The peacekeeper, 100%. Yeah, she's, like, momming out on this mm-hmm. all day. Yeah. Leo Ryan and his party arrived at the airport six miles away from Jonestown in Port Kaituma the morning of the 17th. The airplane they were taking to Jonestown was very small and allowed seating for only four of the 17 concerned relatives. So only these four people were allowed to join Ryan and the rest of his party to Jonestown. When they arrived, only Ryan and three others were allowed into Jonestown, while the rest of his party had to wait outside the gate. So they were just sitting out there doing that thing that you used to do in gym class where you'd sit in the grass and pick, like, the blades of grass and, like, pull them apart and, like, make little bracelets out of them and stuff. They were doing that all day. Do the whistle thing when you put it in between. I could never do that. Me either. It was so cool. We're not cool, guys. That's why. I know we're not. Well, later that night, the rest of the party was allowed in, but they had to leave their grass bracelets outside. That was a hard and fast rule. Mm. That evening, there was even a musical reception for the party Aww. at the main pavilion and a lavish party thrown in their honor. Wasn't it the, it was called the Jonestown Express. Uh-huh. Wasn't it their, they had like a band. Yeah. And it was called the Jonestown uh-huh. Express. <laughs> and also, instead of just having a meal of rice and flavorade as a treat, they brought out the good shit. So oh, they actually yeah. had meat and, you know, they just kind of wanted to make it seem like, Everyone was getting fed, living conditions were ideal, and which, I mean, we know that they weren't, but they put on a show, basically. They absolutely did. I heard for dessert, they actually took some of the rice and the flavor aid, and they made flavor aid flavor rice pudding. Mm. So. Flavor aid popsicles. Yum. (laughs) It was confirmed later, though. Through audio tapes recovered after the massacre, that Jimba had made everyone rehearse having a party yeah. and like pretending to be happy to impress Leo Ryan. He's standing at his little pavilion. He's like, You gotta dance happier. Dance heavy. You're not dancing happy enough. Yeah, and then he'd shoot his gun into the air, and people were like, We're happy, Jim. We're having a good time. And it was totally normal and natural. While Jimbo was occupied with being the host of the party, you know how hard that is. Mm. Two People's Temple members named Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby slipped a note to NBC reporter Don Harris, who they mistook for Congressman Leo Ryan. The note read, Dear Congressman, Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby, please help us get out of Jonestown. And they were immediately snitched on by a child that happened to Mm. see them slip this note to the reporter. 
raisin snitches in Jonestown, man. Yeah, all the little kids were just like little snitch bitches. Like we said in our Black Eyed Kids episode, never trust a child. You know what? I'm going to go as far as saying kick a child you don't know. (laughs) Every child that you see, and if you don't personally know that child, just kick it. Especially if it looks you in the eye. Oh, 100%. Kick a child. Kick it. We are pro-child kicking if they're going to snitch on you to Jim Jones. Mm -hmm. We are. People are going to think we just (laughs) don't want them to kick children. Please don't kick children. That was a joke. Unless they deserve it. Yeah, it it could be pretty funny, though. So maybe. You know what? Make up your own mind. It's 2021. Do what you want to do. You got four choices. You're going to go to the USSR, okay? (laughs) You're going to commit ritual suicide. You're going to kick a child or you're not going to kick a child. You decide. Those are your choices. Pick. It's up to you. Ryan and the three other members of his party were invited to stay the night at the compound, but the others had to find somewhere else to stay, which is very rude. They went back to Port Kaituma and they stayed the night in a very small cafe and slept on the floor. They slept on the floor of a cafe? Yep, because it's not for sleeping, it's for drinking coffee. Well, who, what cafe owner's like, yeah, you can sleep here? I don't know, one that feels bad for all these people. It's like, oh, I know Jim Jones. Fuck him. Yeah. Sleep here. (laughs) Yeah. On the morning of November 18th, 11 members of the People's Temple decided that they were fucking out. Something didn't feel right, and it was their chance to make a break for it. They started walking towards the town of Matthews Ridge in the opposite direction of the Port Kaituma Airport. And they just dipped out, dude. They're the lucky ones. Don't blame them. People were defecting at the same time that Marceline was giving a tour to the journalists and the members of the concerned relatives. Everyone in Jonestown was acting super happy, exactly like they rehearsed, and acting like everything was perfect, exactly how Jimbo wanted it. That is until two families, the Parks family and the Bogus family. The Bogus family? I don't think that's how you say that. It's B-O-G-U-E-S. Bogues? Bougois. Bogus. I like to bogus. Bogus, man. All right. The Parks and the Bogus family. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's definitely wrong. The bo- it's probably Bogues, but we're going to go with Bogus. I like Bogus because it's tubular. They asked to be escorted out of Jonestown with Leo Ryan and his party. Jim Jones gave the families permission to leave and acted like they could have just left at any time. Sure. Both Gosney and Bagby, the letter passers who got snitched on, mm-hmm. were also given permission to leave. Ooh. Jimba did make sure to say that they were liars and that <laughs> all they wanted to do was destroy Jonestown and their reputation and just hurt the people that live there. But yeah, you can leave. Sure. Another temple member named Al Ryan brought his two children to Leo Ryan and asked that he help him process paperwork to transfer himself, his children, and his wife, Bonnie, back to the United States. Just as a very dramatic rainstorm rolled in, the loudspeakers boomed with Bonnie's voice, stating that she not only denounced her husband and what he was doing, but that she wanted to be in Jonestown and she would refuse to go with him. Very convenient timing. Wow. Yeah, I saw that basically they grabbed Bonnie when they saw Al going over to Leo. And they were like, Bonnie, say what you need to say. And she said what she said. (sighs) 
The group then began to climb into the back of a large dump truck to make the trip back to the Port Kaituma Airport when Leo Ryan and Richard Dyer, remember the representative for the U.S. Embassy to Guyana? Mm-hmm. They decided to stay behind for a while and process more paperwork for anyone that wanted to leave the cult. Before the truck left, Larry Layton, who's Caroline Layton's brother, mm. and Deborah Layton's brother... So we got like two opposites and then Larry yeah. decided that he was going to travel back to Port Kaituma along with the group. Fishy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you remember, Caroline Layton is Jim's right-hand dude. And then Deborah Layton absolutely hates Jim Jones yeah, she, and wants she's to the take one him down. Yeah. yeah. So this was very suspicious to several of the defectors. And they were very, very worried about this and what his motives could be. Yeah. I would be too. As the dump truck Tokyo drifted out of Jonestown, a temple member named Don Sly grabbed Leo Ryan and held a knife to his throat. Don Sly was rustled to the ground and Leo Ryan took this as his cue to leave. He promised he would return later and that he would be filing a criminal complaint against Don Sly. Uh, yeah, you just tried to kill me, Don. Yeah, and also I'm just saying his name is Don Sly. (laughs) <laughs> like why would why would you trust him and not like I would never trust this man to not hold a knife to my neck. He sounds like a bad movie villain. Right, but also how does a man named Don Sly botch an assassination attempt like that? I mean, it's just it's a terrible terrible choice name for this man. Yeah, he should be like Don Bitch botch. Whoa. Don. Bye. Don can't do anything right. Just like my mother always says. John not. Don. (laughs) Don not sly. That's right. God, stupid Don sly. Luckily, the dump truck had gotten word of what had happened, and they waited for Leo Ryan and Richard Dwyer to catch up before they continued on to the airport. So they climbed in the back of this dump truck, which I am picturing a very large yellow dump truck, and it's very cute, and it's full of people. Me too. <laughs> I don't know what a dump truck looks like, it turns out. I've just seen the toy ones. That's exactly yeah. what I'm picturing. <laughs> yeah. Originally, the party was supposed to travel back to Georgetown in a small 19-person plane, which, get this, it's called a twin otter. How Aww. cute is that? Adorable. Yeah, and Leo Ryan was dressed as an otter just because he felt like he had to no, fit the No, he mood. was not. <laughs> he definitely was. <laughs> But now that they had numerous other people with them, they had to wait for a second plane, the triplet otter. That was not the name of the plane. No, it wasn't. But it's just so cute. (laughs) So they had to wait for this other plane to help bring everyone back at the same time. I'm picturing in my head that Leo Ryan pulls out his baby seal outfit from before when you said that he dressed like him. (laughs) Well, he did. Right. And he pulls it out, but he repurposes it as an otter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the outside is like baby seal colored, but the inside is baby otter colored. He he adds some shit to it to try to Uh like otter it up. Oh, yeah. he's like that's what he's wearing. Yeah, he's like really good at crafting on the go. Right. That's what he was, yeah, that's what he was known for. Loves it. On the go Leo is what they used to call him. Craft on the go, Leo. Craft on the go, Leo. (laughs) This plane was actually a six-passenger Cessna, which is the same plane that baby bitch boy Bob Hansen flew. No. Uh Uh-huh. When I was doing research, I was like, Cessna, that sounds so familiar. And then I looked it up. God, baby bitch Bob Hansen. I forgot about him for a while. Me too. At 5, at 5.10 p.m., the Cessna 
landed, loaded up six passengers, including Larry Clayton, Bagby, Gosney, and Dale Parks. As the plane taxied to the end of the airstrip, Larry pulled out a gun and started wildly shooting at the passengers. He wounded Bagby and Gosney before Dale Parks was able to disarm him. Unbeknownst to the others boarding the Twin Otter, a truck had arrived with a trailer attached, driven by the People's Temple's Red Brigade. The security squad goons that Jimba used as his personal army and hit squad. When they were in 30 feet of the Twin Otter, they opened fire. Two shooters also circled the plane on foot, while nine others shot from the trailer with handguns, rifles, and shotguns. Jeez. Before he was struck by a bullet and killed, NBC cameraman Bob Brown was able to capture a video recording of the first few moments of the shooting. Which you can see on YouTube. Really? Yeah, I searched it. You don't really see anything, but you see the car pull up and men Uh, come out and they're all just like shooting. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Jackie Spire, Richard Dyer, Anthony Katsaris, Tom Reederman, and Steve Sung had been shot but not killed. Greg Robinson, Don Harris, Patricia Parks had been killed, along with Congressman Leo Ryan, who had been shot more than 20 times. Wow. The truck and trailer drove off, and the shooting ceased. The pilots of the Twin Otter dashed to the Cessna, where they, along with the Cessna's pilots, flew to Georgetown. All that remained on the runway were the bodies of the dead, the remaining injured, and the damaged remains of the Twin Otter. I read that the brother, Larry Layton, the one who, mm-hmm. Carolyn and Debbie, and, and when he went with everyone, everyone was like, why is he going? I read that the original plan was that he was supposed to get on the plane, mm-hmm. and what he was supposed to do is he was supposed to shoot the pilot in the head, and the plane was supposed to crash, killing everyone. But with the additional people, they now had to bring in another plane, and it it wasn't sure if he would be on the same plane as Leo Ryan. So they kind of scrapped that plan and they were like, all right, fuck it. We're going to just bring people and it's going to be a shootout. Did we talk about last episode that Caroline Layton's, um, wasn't she the one that got the pilot's license? Carolyn didn't. It was Maria Katsaris who did. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she wanted to crash the 747 full of people. That was going to be their way. That was going to be how they committed mass suicide. Yeah, Yeah. that was her idea. They really have a theme going. Yeah, they do. They've talked about it multiple times. Oh, yeah, yeah. A minimum of 84 times (laughs) this year. Right. That afternoon, before the news became public, the wife of Leo Ryan's aide received three threatening phone calls. She picked up the phone and heard... Tell your husband that his meal ticket just had his brains blown out, and he better be careful. (gasps) The couple fled to Lake Tahoe and then later Houston to escape. They never returned to San Francisco out of fear of being murdered by Jim Jones's men. Honestly, probably a good choice. After the Cessna took off, they radioed in to report the attack, and the U.S. Ambassador John R. Burke went to the residence of the Prime Minister Burnham. It was not until the next morning that the Guyanese army could cut through the jungle and reach Jonestown. They would discover over 900 inhabitants dead via murder-suicide. And this is where we will end part four of our Jonestown series. Catch up with us next week for part five, the finale of the Jonestown series, where we will chat all about flavor aids, sipping, the yep. aftermath, and conspiracy theories surrounding Jonestown. Yeah, we're going to get into... Uh... The fun stuff.
the not so fun stuff, I guess. We want to put out as much information because I've talked to so many people. It's like everyone knows how Jonestown ends. Yeah. No one knows how they got there. It's a disservice to you, the listeners, to not give you all of the information. So Yeah, and also if you want to go as far to say it's a disservice to the people that died for it. Yeah. Because 100%. you have to in order to stop evil, you have to know how evil is started. I love that actually. Thank and you. I agree with it one hundred percent. I read it in a fortune cookie once. Did you? No, I just made it up right now. <laughs> Well, if you want to check out any of our sources, which I would recommend reading The Road to Jonestown also, if you into this thing. I know you are if you're on part four of this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So read that and then check out all of our sources in the show notes. And if you have a weird story, ghosts, aliens, whatever, send us your listener lore you can send it to quite unusual pod at gmail.com or you can slippery slide into all of our dms baby at quite unusual pod on pretty much all the platforms except we got kicked off parlor because we were too radical oh yeah sorry There's, there is that we're still on myspace though so. we do we actually are <laughs> we are on myspace we're in tom's top eight that's we are if you like what you hear please we ask of you to rate, review, subscribe to our podcast. We love looking at all of your reviews, and it actually does bump us up and make us more accessible to others. So yeah. Fun. Shout it into the sky. Yeah. Smoke signals. How many stars do you think we should get? get? And now we would like to welcome our new Coven Acolytes. Shout out. Welcome, Tony C. And shout out to Brad M. from the Killin' Missin' Hidden podcast. We love Brad. Go check out his pun. Hey, Brad. Shout out to Jess. And, of course, to Adam. May the magic be ever in your favor. If you would like to join our Patreon to unlock tons of exclusive content and support our podcast, either go to the link in our social media bios or go to patreon.com slash pod. And remember to celebrate the stream. And keep it unusual. Bye. And this is the part of our show where we give praise to the all-knowing leaders, supporters of the podcast, and all-around benevolent beings. To Adam, one of the council of celestial beings that decided the color Blaphemore shouldn't be included in the rainbow. Good job, Adam. Blaphemore is hideous. Disgusting. To Evan Kay, who was once a regular Keebler elf, who happened to fall through a multidimensional portal into our world, and he used his magical insider cookie knowledge to take over as the CEO of Oreo. Well done, Evan. You're doing good work. To Jess, who inherited Joe Exotic's tigers after he was put in jail, and has since trained them to do taxes. Remember... Tax season is upon us. I'm so sorry, but I just want to say, a tiger that does taxes? Terrific. Sign sign me up. Kaylee O, a nymph who fell into Wonderland. Since her return, she has taken the form of Joe Biden and is acting on behalf of the deep state. (gasps) Better than the previous president. Oh. (laughs) To Lauren R., the former manager of the Little Shop of Horrors. After COVID cutbacks, she's taken up gremlin breeding as a hobby. Ooh, 
don't feed him after midnight, Lauren. Don't get him wet either. Mike B., who once had a dream that they murdered all of their enemies, only to wake up to the news that all of their enemies had in fact been murdered. Was it a dream, Mike B.? It was all a dream, 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 dream. Samantha P., who was free diving in the ocean when she came across a megalodon who just wanted to play fetch. Was it a stick or a ball she threw? To Savannah L., who sculpts teeny tiny human skulls out of grains of rice, just for fun. Ah, the precision. So small. Fantastic. To Spencer W., who once developed a gigantor ray to make the fleas at the flea circus visible to the human eye. Unfortunately, now there is a herd of giant juggling fleas rampaging across the country. Honey, I gigantored the fleas. Problematic. To Tim M., who found a mummified body in the walls of his new apartment while replacing his thermostat, but decided to leave it because... Friendship? Well, hey, with social distancing, everyone could use a friend at the moment. It's nice to hold hands. Thank you to all of our coven members on Patreon. Without you... We are nothing. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. It's not like the McDonald's song. Did it? Did it? Did it? Yeah, dude, that was good. <laughs>